So we're going to be looking at that. And today, as we're looking, verse 12 is one of those promises of the Bible. There's all kinds, the Bible's all full of promises. Verse 12, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 is probably the least popular promise in the whole Bible. Uh, you'll see what I mean when I read it here in just a second. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's what we're looking at here today. If you don't mind, I'd like to open in a word of prayer before we get started. So Lord, we do thank you for the promises in your word. And this is one. And as we look at it, we're going to see it's not a bad promise. It's actually reassuring, as I was reading this morning from Ecclesiastes, that Solomon was noticing the very same thing. These evil men, they get worse and worse. They seem to do good. This world's a frustrating world. But that's just what you promised. You're a faithful God. We do ask that you'll guide us through your word. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to get some encouragement from it. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as I say, today we're looking at one of the least popular promises in the Bible. And it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now that, that verse right there is key to understanding true Christianity. Whether you realize it or not, that is key. And it reminds me of another promise that Jesus made about taking up one's cross to follow him. Brother Fisher just finished talking about that in Matthew 10, 38. He's going to talk about it again in Matthew 16, 24. I'm not going to steal his thunder and look at either of those. Uh, he'll, he's going to deal with that very shortly. But I'll bring it up to your attention that it was important enough for Jesus to have made that point twice. He made that point about your... If you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross to follow me. A cross only meant one thing. A cross wasn't a torture device. A cross was an execution device. And Jesus made that point twice. Paul himself made the same point him, uh, some 10 years earlier than what we're looking at today. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, he said, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That's Acts 14.22, if you want to look it up yourself. I have every reason, by the way, when Paul said that in Acts 14, I have every reason to believe that Timothy was present. As you read through the book of Acts, you realize when Paul picked up Timothy, Timothy was with Paul that whole length of time. I believe Timothy was right there when Paul said that. In Paul's day, a little bit of history here, in Paul's day in the Roman Empire, to openly live out your Christian life would certainly get you persecution and very likely dead. Remember who's on the throne of the Roman Empire at this time? Nero. Nero, in just a couple of hours, is going to have Paul killed. I mean, as soon as Paul's done writing the book of 2 Timothy, he's dead. That, Paul knows a little bit about what he's talking about here. Now, we in 21st century America don't have to, uh, much to face concerning persecution, do we? We really don't. Uh, 
But that's not been normal for most Christians throughout history. Uh, the general rule for the majority of Christians is that of persecution for their faith. All around the world, even today, just like Jesus promised. Let's, let's look at this one, John chapter 15. There's a couple in John that I want to look at. John 15. Verses 18 to 21. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. That's another promise from Jesus. Let's go, uh, same book, uh, chapter 16, verse 33. John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might, find, you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, in this same book, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, we already saw Paul warn Timothy that you may very well have to endure hardship as a Christian. Remember that uh, back in chapter 2 and verse 3? I'm not going to back up there. All you have to do even today, 21st century America, Go in the back uh, and grab the latest Voice of the Martyrs and uh, realize that even in the 21st century, many, many Christians are being persecuted and killed for their faith in this world. By the way, if you're curious, the theme in the, uh, this last Voice of the Martyrs is North Korea. North Korea, people are being persecuted and killed for Christianity wherever they're found. I encourage you to read it. That fact ought to be humbling to you and me today as we sit here in Surrey. And it ought to inspire us to ask what we can do to help our brothers and sisters who are being tortured and who are being killed and who are being imprisoned around the world. <clears throat> I've heard it said that more Christians throughout church history have been killed for their faith than have died natural deaths. That's interesting if you really consider it. That it's not normal for a Christian to die a natural death. Now, as I've considered this, the giving of one's life isn't really what Paul's talking about here, is it? He's not talking about giving your life. What he's talking about is living lengthy trial day in and day out and facing testing for one's faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. Every day that you obey God's life, let's, let's take a quick look at that. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 5. It's hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. But it all comes because we live out our faith openly, then it's not likely that God's ever going to trust us with any greater tasks in faith, is it? Why would he? Luke chapter 16, verse 10. 
says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You see, some of these trials, as we live out our faith, prove that, okay, you took that well, let's see if you can take this. You took that well, let's see if you can take this. That's why these things happen. It's not a bad thing. Can I make a, a practical, physical illustration for you? Anybody, I'm going to, let's remember back to last century. I'm that old that I can remember last century. We're talking the end of uh, the 80s. I believe they shut it down in 92. I could be wrong. It might be 93. Anybody remember Biosphere 2? Anybody ever heard of the Biosphere 2? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was a big terrarium that they built in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, a uh, three-and-a-half-acre terrarium, and they were going to have people live in it to see if we could live on Mars. There was some scuttlebutt that was uh, built around it, whether it was actually a real, truly sealed environment. But anyway, that's not what I'm going to get into. Biosphere 2, three-and-a-half-acre facility they built in Arizona. Had everything. Had trees in it. When they planted the trees, the trees grew up. And do you know what one of the things happened to the trees in the Biosphere 2 dome? They grew up and they collapsed under their own weight. They, before they even reached maturity, they broke off and died. Why? It turns out that trees, in order to be strong, like the, we got sugar maples out here that are standing up, and we just had 40 mile an hour winds the other day, and they're still standing. They need to be buffeted by cold. They need to be buffeted by heat. They need to be buffeted by wind. They need these stresses or they're going to collapse. Just the weight of the trunks of the trees in the biosphere living in a sheltered environment, they collapsed under their own weight. Interesting thing, isn't it? The same thing is true of yours and my Christian life. If we're not tried, if we're not tested, we're just going to collapse. Now, Paul isn't saying that every single one of us is going to die a martyr's death. I already mentioned that. But rather, the faithful Christians are going to face a day-to-day -day trying of their faith in different levels. What you're tested in is going to, definitely is going to be different than what I'm tested in. What tries you is very different than what tries me. What we're willing to endure to show faithfulness shows how seriously we take our Christian walk. That's really the theme that we're talking about here today, is how seriously do you take your Christian walk. Now, another thing that this ought to make us realize is the importance of prayer, especially intercessory prayer for one another. If we are not facing persecution in our own lives right now, which I think we'll all agree we really aren't when we get right down to it, we ought to be praying for our brothers and sisters who are. And there are many accounts. Again, I'll turn you to the Voice of the Martyr, the latest Voice of the Martyrs. Go ahead and look at it. There are many accounts out there of Christians who are being persecuted around the world, and they could physically feel the relief when someone was praying for them in their struggle. And they often claim 
that that relief that they felt was what allowed them to carry on through the persecution. That's a very real thing. So when we pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, we are sharing to a small degree in their persecution as well. Perhaps not in the strictest sense, you're really only sacrificing a little bit of your own time and energy to pray for them, but we're giving something of ourselves in the service of their ministry. When you pray for those believers who are suffering around the world, you will be much less inclined to worry and to mope about your own little problems. Really, most of the stuff that gets us down and we worry about and we mope about is pretty piddling compared to what other people are dealing with around the world. You'll be a lot more appreciative of how blessed you truly are here. I guarantee that. But notice who Paul promises is going to face persecution. Those, all that will live godly. Those people who will live godly. That is, those people with a desire, a will to live godly are the ones who are going to suffer persecution, Paul says. And I believe that right there is why there is so little persecution in 21st century America right, right now. Because very few American Christians really want to live godly. Sure, we might say we're sitting here in Surrey, it's on Sunday morning, and it's nice and warm in here. We say that we would like to live godly. But if we really wanted to live godly, we would live our lives a little bit differently, wouldn't we? Our priorities would be a little bit different, wouldn't they? Because when Paul speaks here of will, he's talking about an iron-bound determination to follow and live a godly lifestyle regardless of the cost. I am determined that I'm going to live this way. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what that word will means. And those costs may come in many different forms. Could be social disapproval. Could be family friction. I was, I was listening to the Voice of the Martyrs radio broadcast on my way in here this morning, and a mother who was concerned about her daughter, I believe it was in Pakistan, who had converted to Christianity, she said, I would have rather known that she'd turned into a whore than to have become a Christian. But as she watched her daughter grow and realize the impact of Christianity, she got saved. I was just listening to that just this morning. You could uh, have a risk of loss of personal fortune. You could have ruined career opportunities. There's any number. There could be criminal prosecution. It happens all around the world. So I hope you see that there's a variety of ways that there could be personal costs attributed to following Christ. And we will never be able to have a truly effective ministry unless we're willing to live out the principles that Paul's uh, written about. Where are those principles listed? Let's go over to Galatians chapter 2. Good to see. Paul's a lists guy. I'm kind of a lists guy myself. Uh, so you look around, if you're looking for examples of something, Paul probably made a list of it somewhere. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, specifically around verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that's a real principles to live by, don't you see? How are the people we disciple ever going to be ready to face persecution and trial if we're not willing to do so ourselves? See, Paul wants Timothy to be able to warn the church at Ephesus. That's where Timothy is. He's at the church at Ephesus. Persecution is inevitable. It's coming. If you're truly going to follow Christ. And Paul told the same sort of things to the Thessalonian church, too. Uh, you can turn over to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3 and verse 4. He says, For verily, when I were with you, he, he's not at Thessalonica, but he's writing to them, When I was with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Even as it came to pass, he says, and ye know. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 4. Now, you and I ought to be grateful that we have not had to suffer deep physical persecution, right? We ought to be grateful. Like so many of our brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with this very morning. But at the same time, we ought to question how seriously we're taking our Christian walk, shouldn't we? If we're not seeing any real opposition to our faith, then how seriously are we taking our Christian walk? That doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be burned at the stake or beheaded. But there ought to be some kickback for our stand for Christ. Hadn't there? And if there's not, then maybe our stand for Christ isn't as firm as we might like to think it is. Kind of sobering, isn't it? I think I beat that one enough. Let's move on to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So on the one hand, we as Christians who are trying to live in a godly fashion, we can expect persecution. But on the other hand, evil men and seducers will flourish with apparent impunity. That's what I was reading about in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Paul's about to remind Timothy of some scriptures that Timothy's already aware of, which are going to say things just like that. Let's look at some of them. Uh, let's go to Job chapter 12. It's good to remind ourselves of these things. The, the Bible's full of these. Job chapter 12, verse 6 says, the tabernacles of robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, <clears throat> are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. Tabernacles of robbers prosper. Uh, go over to Psalm 37. Verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Skip down to verse 7. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently on him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man that bringeth wicked devices to pass. We're not supposed to worry about that. 
uh, also in Psalms. Go over to uh, 92 and verse 7. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. They will be destroyed forever. Go over to Habakkuk. That's not a book we often look at. Habakkuk faced the same sort of problems. Habakkuk chapter 1. Verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holds thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man who is more righteous than he. That's Habakkuk. He's sitting in Jerusalem, and he's watching the Babylonians come to destroy Jerusalem. God, why, the Babylonians are worse than, yeah, we're bad, but the Babylonians are worse than we are. Why are you blessing them? Have you ever had those kind of feelings? I do every day. You're not alone. Habakkuk had the same feelings. Go over to Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3, and verse 15. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Does that sound like today? We're not facing anything new today. It's been throughout history. What Paul's telling Timothy is nothing new. What Timothy's telling us is nothing new either. In fact, it's been the experience of God's people in all times, all places, forever. Now, I hope you realize that when the King James says evil men here, he's not saying that there's no evil women. Because there are. <laughs> there are evil women too. Uh, also, the word seducers here, it's a very specific word. This is the only place it's used. It's goes in the Greek. It literally means imposter. An imposter. In other writings, uh, this is the only place it's used in the New Testament, but if you look in other Greek writings, it's referring to a swindler or a cheat. Personally, I think Paul's thinking back, remember, been a few weeks since I've been teaching here. Uh, I think Paul's thinking back to Janus and Jambres, the uh, magicians who were in uh, Pharaoh's court there. We were looking at them just a couple of weeks ago. They may appear to be God-fearing ministers. They may appear to be doing the same things, but they're actually cheaters who are looking to trip up the weak and the foolish in the church. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, if you recall. Notice that it says that they're going to wax worse and worse. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. The word shall wax is prokopto. Prokopto. We've seen it used already, chapter 2 and verse 16. We saw it in uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 also. Uh, they shall proceed no further. It's the same thing, prokopto. They're on a track of progression. They don't stay in one place. They're advancing their agenda. So do you see the paradox? 
between verse 12 and verse 13, the people who follow the gospel will be beaten down and hammered with persecutions while the enemies of the gospel and the charlatans will be making steady advances and even seem to be gaining ground as they deceive and are being deceived. You see the paradox there? Now the consolation that we've got, if they're waxing worse and worse, that, tell, that confirms to me that mankind is not as evil as he can be. Even yet, as wicked as this world is, it's not as wicked as man can be. It can wax worse, believe it or not. It can wax worse, and it will. When we get to Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, let, let's take a look at it. We see that the state of deception is a natural human condition. Titus 3.3, 3. for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Paul's including himself there. He was deceived. He was disobedient. Remember where Paul was saved? Paul was hunting Christians down. He was deceived. He was disobedient. But God, in His mercy, reached down and saved Paul. And by the way, if you're saved here today, He reached down and saved you. You were deceived. You were disobedient. You were following the wrong way. But God, who is merciful, reached down and saved you. That's humbling, isn't it? But deception, the point I'm trying to make here, deception is the natural state of mankind. And these people are just digging themselves deeper and deeper into their natural state without Christ, don't you see? as they're waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and they're just digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. They're already in the hole. They're just making it deeper. It reminds me of what Jesus said about people in the last days being like in the days of Noah. He said that, uh, Matthew 24, that's far enough away. Uh, I'm going to go over to Matthew chapter 24. It'll be a long time before Brother Fisher's there. And verses 37, 38. This is Jesus talking, and so uh, words in red, so we've got to pay attention. And it says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If you want to read a very similar passage, go over to Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 26, 27. It's Jesus saying the same thing. I'm not going to do it right now. I happen to like the one in Matthew better. Uh, Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Let's take a look at that. Peter 3, 
verse 20. I'm actually going to back all the way up to verse 18 because we really got to see this whole paragraph. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited on the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. He's talking about disobedient people in the days, like the days of Noah. People are just living their natural way. You and I are living in those kind of days. We're looking forward to the day when Christ's going to come back, right? I believe that's going to happen soon. I would like it if it happened this year. If, if we think we're getting close, then people are going to be more and more like in the days of Noah, not caring at all about God, not even worried about what Noah's doing, not listening to the warnings that are coming, just digging themselves deeper in their deception hole. So what's the point that you're making, Brother Dan? You've gone on and on about this. What's the point? Well, just this. Paul's telling Timothy, and by proxy telling you and me, that even in the face of persecution and the flourishing of the wicked men that are all around us, we can take heart. You see, because we're going to see Paul give us some hope in the next couple of verses. Next time when we get together, I'll steal my own thunder and tell you that the hope is in the Word of God and in its power in our lives. We're going to see that as we get to the next couple of verses where Paul says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's next time. So we've got to stay in the Word. Will you do that with me? You mind if I close in prayer? Lord, again, I do thank you for the promises in your Word.